0: on Local Now, Channel
1: 525. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, I have been thinking a lot about value-laden words lately. And talking with Dennis Prager as we were earlier and thinking about his new book on Deuteronomy has given me a few additional thoughts on what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. In the introduction to his new book, uh, The Rational Guide to Deuteronomy, Dennis writes, quote, I have had one mission in life to understand the human condition as best as possible, promoting goodness and attaining wisdom. These are linked because it is impossible to do good without wisdom. Without wisdom, all the good intentions in the world are likely to be worthless. Many of the horrors of the 20th century were supported by people with good intentions who lacked wisdom. Close quote. This to me is the crux of everything. Everything. In our language about politics today, the definition of what is good, what constitutes good, frame it this way. When some politician or other says the other guy, his opponent, her opponent wants to destroy America or harm America, or when someone on your team says they will be good or great for America or restore America, we are speaking the same language, of course, but we apply different meanings to those words. What you think is good. Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Rashida Tlaib does not, or Stalin would not have. What they think is good, particularly for America, we, most of us, do not. When a politician says he wants to fundamentally transform America, he is not saying that because he wants to do harm in his eyes. He is saying it because, again, in his eyes, he thinks he's doing good. To think a fundamental transformation of this country is a good thing to him is a bad thing for us. And clearly... One never radically or fundamentally transforms something already good or great, do they? As we spoke of earlier this week, we can all use the same words and mean different things. Abraham Lincoln put it that the world had never had a good definition of the word liberty. And he said in 1864, American people just now are much in want of one. Quote, we all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. With some, the word liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor, while with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and the product of other men's labor. Here are two not only different but incompatible things called by the same name, liberty. Liberty. And it follows that each of the things is, by the respective parties, called by two different and incompatible names, liberty and tyranny. We have that problem here. So, for example, if a conservative or right-leaning columnist tells you what he or she thinks Joe Biden should say tonight or tomorrow or do tonight or tomorrow, it is based on definitions of good or better or great or maybe the word improve that are so very different From what Democrats think is good, better, great, and improved. We think it awful, for example, that a five-year-old is given lessons on pronouns and sexuality. They think it is gender-affirming and good. We think it is a bad. They think it is a good. When someone on our side says about another leader or candidate he or she wants to destroy America, it's not completely true. We think they will destroy America. The person spoken about thinks he or she will be improving it and that we are the destroyers. Which gets me back not only to what Lincoln spoke of in defining the word liberty, but a haunting call I took some months ago. Haunting but good and good because important, crucial, really the whole ballgame. The caller asked if America was wanting and if we were losing our civilization. Imagine having to ask that after all we've been through. And yet we all kind of think about that a lot, don't we? We may not say it or say it like that, but we all tend to think it at least once in a while. We wake up and wonder if we recognize this place, this realm, this country anymore. You know, I'm a huge fan of Ronald Reagan's concern about teaching the lessons of freedom to the next generation and his famous quotes about how it can all be lost in a generation, which is about 30 years. He's put it a few different ways. So, for instance, in his inaugural speech as governor of California in 1967, he put it this way, quote, perhaps you and I have lived too long with this miracle to properly be appreciative. Freedom is a fragile thing, and that's never more than ge- than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation, for it comes only once to a people. And those in world history who have known freedom and then lost it have never known it again. Knowing this, he continued, it's hard to explain those among us who even today would question the people's capacity for self-government. I've often wondered if they will answer those who subscribe to that philosophy. If no one among us is capable of governing himself, then who among us has the capacity to govern someone else? using the temporary authority granted by the people in increasing numbers lately at all levels of government, have sought control even of the means of production as if they could do them without eventually controlling those who produce. And always they explain this as necessary for the people's welfare. That's how Ronald Reagan put it. The deterioration of every government begins with the decay of the principle upon which it was founded. That's a quote from Montesquieu. It was written in 1748. It was as true then as it was when Ronald Reagan invoked it as it is today. The deterioration of every government begins with the decay of the principle upon which it was founded. Irving Kristol put it this way. If you want self-government, you must have selves worthy of governing, which is why my definition of conservatism has always been an economics of liberty and a sociology of virtue. At least the word virtue has been settled upon, though, of course, its redefinition has been tried time and time again. Without much success, just declining examples and evidence of it. Thus the struggle to reinstitute it or reinstantiate it. So what do I say to whether or not we are watching our final chapters being written? What do I say when we think what we are watching is bad, but what Democrats are watching is good? I say what Theodore Roosevelt said. I believe that a man must be a good patriot before he can be and is the only possible way of being a good citizen of the world. Experience teaches us that the average man who protests that his international feeling swamps his national feeling, that he does not care for his country because he cares so much for mankind, in actual practice, proves himself the foe of mankind. That the man who says that he does not care to be a citizen of any one country because he is a citizen of the world, is in fact usually an exceedingly undesirable citizen of whatever corner of the world he happens at the moment to be in close quote i would also say what cs lewis said quote nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all likely to be preserved Those who want heaven must have served earth best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. Close quote. I will confess it took me several several readings of that essay, that quote of C.S. Lewis's. And those lines to understand them even tenuously. So I'll repeat it. Nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs. Those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all all likely to be preserved. Those who want heaven must have served earth best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. Maybe it helps to put it in the positive. You can't love your fellow man without loving God first and more. We all need our North Poles. If we are going to have a compass of any kind, most importantly, if we're going to have a moral compass. When I think of the divide between good and evil and the notion that these are not, should not be arbitrary categorizations as we think about how to run our country, how to organize our polis, as we watch reform after reform or fundamental transformation after transformation... As we are called evil by standing against reforms that, say, sexualize and racialize our children, while we call evil those very same things, I think about why all of this is even being done in the first place, and I drive to something Jean-Francois Revel wrote in his book, How Democracies Perish. He wrote, clearly, a civilization that feels guilty for everything it is and does will lack the energy and conviction to defend itself. Think about that word, guilty, feeling guilty. Guilt is not a virtue, especially when it is misplaced guilt. Guilt is not a value upon which to make decisions or even guide public policy. It is not an inherently good thing. It is not something we seek or wish upon ourselves, which, by the way, is a pretty good guide to understanding what a good is. Is it something you would want for yourself? Abraham Lincoln understood this and taught it beautifully in a very simple set of two sentences. As I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This expresses my idea of democracy, and whatever differs from this, to the extent of the difference, is not democracy. Harry Jaffa, the greatest Aristotle scholar of our age, put it that Aristotle defines happiness, of course, as the summum bonum, the highest of goods and identifiable as benefits beneficial to the person who possesses them. One cannot, he illustrates, imagine a happy man, a truly happy man who was a fool, lacking in self-respect, a slave, someone without friends. One might take that a step further and think about whether this or that idea or policy inflicts or removes those values from others. Does it increase or decrease self-respect or self-worth, slavery or freedom? harmoniousness in the community, or dissension within it. Elie Wiesel once wrote that the word shoah, which is used to describe the Holocaust, the Hebrew word for Holocaust, literally means catastrophe. And Wiesel describes catastrophe as when good and evil are put on the same moral plane and the evil receive the countenance of the just. Martin Luther King Jr., who studied ancient political philosophy, asked in his letter from Birmingham Jail, how does one determine when a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal and natural law. Any law that up lifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes, for example, he wrote, are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. Consider the Aristotelian point that what is good should not be arbitrary or change, even in the context of the polity we may live in, the leadership we may or may not have. For example, a good man in a good regime may be considered a bad man in a bad regime if he opposes that regime. Or not the same thing as a good man in a bad regime, just as a bad man in a bad regime should be considered a good man in that or any regime while it would be folly for a good man in a bad regime to be considered a good man if his goodness was defined by his support for and obedience to that bad regime. At the end of the day, either we define the terms of good or evil, or they do. There has never been a time in history when people have not been misled on these definitions, which is why as far back as the 1860s, Abraham Lincoln was lamenting the notion that there was... While using the same word, like liberty, a sheep's dictionary and a wolf's dictionary. For far too long, the wolf's dictionary has been dominant here. It's time for a new dictionary. And by a new dictionary, I mean really an old one. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Are you worried about stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return and no correlation to the stock market? If you're lo- looking for such an opportunity, check out my friends and these shows sponsors, Why Refi? They're offering an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio of up to ten and a quarter percent return for investors. And your investment can be in a trust, an IRA, just as much as it can be an individual or joint investment. Why refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys who do really well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that too. check them out at invest dot That's the word invest the letter Y R E F Y.com or they're a local company. You can call and visit with them. You will not get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you about what they do. And let it speak for itself. Call him at 855 316 3087. That's YRefi at 855 316 3087. We're going to talk to Erica Sandberg in a few moments and uh, about some goings on in uh, San Francisco, which is a pretty good uh, template, a pretty good instruction on good and bad public policy. She tweeted this morning Do you want your city to provide free meth, heroin, and fentanyl to people struggling with addiction? That's what safe and safer supply is all about. It's not about recovery. It's not about helping drug addicts. It's not about helping the homeless, the chronically homeless. It's about appeasing and enabling them. San Francisco is not alone here. This is taking place across the country. This kind of enabling, this kind of appeasement, this kind of serving up on a platter, self-enslavement kind of makes you think a little bit about what I was saying and quoting from Ronald Reagan uh, earlier in his 1967 gubernatorial inaugural address. If no one among us is capable of governing himself, then who among us has the capacity to govern someone else are those people who are drug-addled yelling and screaming and sleeping on the streets and defecating on the streets requiring of city employees who make six figures to clean up their excrement are 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 they not worthy of self-government are they worthy of self-government are they part of this project are they part of humanity and are we part of humanity by enabling and continuing to enable and appease that behavior? It's not just San Francisco, as I said. New York, oh my gosh, San Francisco, New York, two cities I just would not want to live in, two cities that used to define America, right? I mean, Washington, D.C., New York City. Uh, Bill, what other city? San Francisco, what other are the big? Chicago, I suppose, but they're going down this route as well. New York subway system has signs um, about heroin use, not discouraging it. Not dissuading it. They have a model who says, quote, don't be ashamed you are using. Be empowered that you are using safely. It's good to be using this drug safely. There's another um, ad in the advertisements uh, on the subway saying fentanyl test strips can help save your life. What would you use that trust? Test strip for you would put it on another illegal substance you're using or trying to acquire some other narcotics, some other opioid just to make sure that what you think you might be getting in the version or in the name of something like a um, an opioid pain reliever that's prescribed like a Vicodin or something like a Percocet. You can test even though it's not yours, obviously, to make sure it doesn't have fentanyl in it. This is appeasement. This is enabling. This is endowed self-destruction. This is the opposite of good. It's the opposite of public health. And we'll talk to Erica when we come back. Much more about this when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. A lot more coming up. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. As promised, it's a delight to bring back to the show Erica Sandberg. Follow her on Twitter, at Erica J. Sandberg. She describes herself as a San Francisco war correspondent, an evidence-based reporter, among other things. Uh, Her Substack piece, ericasandberg.substack.com, if we don't share the truth, who will? Uh, She tweeted this morning and uh, something that I think... Is as crystallizing uh, 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 and concise as anything could be with regard to what we're talking about with drug use, uh, enabling, enslaving, public policy, what the good and decent thing is and what the good and decent thing is not. She writes, do you want your city to provide free meth, heroin and fentanyl to people struggling with addiction? That's what safe and safer supply is all about. It's not recovery. Erica, thanks for joining us as always. Um, you're seeing a lot of that in San Francisco. We're seeing it in a lot of big cities now, aren't we?
0: Oh, absolutely! It is the uh, it is the flavor du jour.
1: We we look at your most recent posting over at Substack. If we don't share the truth, who will? You write that we are watching the saddest situations unfold right before us. Um, we, 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 we look at these human beings on the streets, the chronically homeless. We look at them drug adult and we scratch our heads, public policymakers do, wondering um, why we're not solving the problem by making their homelessness and their drug addictions easier. Isn't that kind of what the thinking is right now?
0: 100%. What it is is we're taking failed policy and we're and the the people who are in charge of them are saying, well, the reason that they're not working is because we don't go far enough. So, therefore, instead of just making it as easy as possible to obtain drugs on the street and drug paraphernalia, okay, well, we're, we're going to take it a step further. We're not going to just have you come on in and do your drugs within a safe consumption site. We're going to provide them for you. Right. This isn't oxygen. This isn't methadone. Those are MAT programs, wonderful programs, to really help people kick their addiction. This is absolutely providing illegal substances, meth, heroin, fentanyl, you name it, to users. Mm-hmm. The government is the pusher. That is exactly what it is. They, they can They can call it all different kinds of things. It's the same thing. It is literally the government supplying the illegal
1: drugs to addicts, doing That's so, and doing so in the name of compassion, uh, safe use, or compassionate use? We've been we've been on a tear really over the past fifteen years, haven't we? In changing this language to adopt to these enslaving policies, I was just saying to a friend the other day. I don't know if you agree with this, but you know, we started talking about this problem. Used to talk about this problem as illegal drug abuse. And then it became um, illegal drug use. And then it became illegal substance abuse. Then it became substance use. And now we're not even talking about substance abuse. We're just talking about substance use and safe use of dangerous substances without the word dangerous in them. We have cleansed and sanitized the toxicity of this stuff, I suppose, in order to get a mindset that this should be normalized, this should be countenanced, if not welcomed, accommodated. Is that a fair assessment of of the trajectory here, Erica?
0: It's more than fair. It's more than fair. This is completely outrageous. When you change the language so that it softens the situation, so that it becomes more appealing, you are being dishonest. Be clear. Look, I would be far more accepting of people who advocate for these policies if they were just open about it. Be clear about it. The word safer supply, it has this, uh, evokes an image that people are safe. You're going to be safe doing the fentanyl. You're going to be safe doing the methamphetamine. Nothing could be further from the truth. There is no safe and safe uh, ingestion of it. Eventually, you're either going to quit or you're going to die. It's one or the other.
1: And we're not... Getting any closer to giving people that message as a matter of help and recovery or prevention. Can I talk to you about the prevention part of this on the other side? I have this was a short segment, we'll have a longer one coming up. We're talking to Erica Sandberg. She'll rejoin us in just a moment after the quick commercial break. Check out her most recent piece. If we don't share the truth, who will? Sandberg Times, Erica Sandberg. com, E R I C A S A N D B E R G. I'm Seth and She's Erica. We'll both be just right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have Erica Sandberg with us. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Erica J. Sandberg, uh, muckrack.com slash Erica dash Sandberg or Erica Sandberg. Dot substack dot com. Uh, we're talking about chronic homeless. We're tra- talking about uh, dr- illegal drug, harmful drug use, um, and the public policy that has shaped an accommodation to it rather than a treatment and recovery mentality or, for that matter, a uh, prevention mentality. So, Erica, this is what kills me more than anything else on this sub- on this subject. This is what bothers me. If you go into a New York subway right now, and maybe this will be coming to public transportation in San Francisco if it isn't already there or another city, perhaps some 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 moment soon here in Phoenix. If you walk into a subway in New York City, you will get all kind of all kinds of messaging. No smoking. Smoking is dangerous. We're talking cigarette smoking. Cigarettes smoking kills. Cigarettes cause cancer. But you will then see signs With a model saying, don't be ashamed you are using, be empowered that you are using safely, or fentanyl test strips can help save your life is another ad campaign in the New York City subway system uh, telling users of narcotics, of opioids, um, where they can go to use safely without sanction of law and without shame. This is so upside down, I don't even know how to wrap my head around it, Erica
0: totally upside down. Um, and the, the I think the interesting aspect of it is the people who disseminate that information, they actually think they're getting something over on people. Everybody who has a lick of common sense looks at that and says, oh, this is lunacy. This, does, this is horrible. It's not helpful. It's damaging. It's weird, right? So normal people look at it. And I think normal people, people who are intelligent, people who are, Professional people, everybody, from small children on up, can understand that that makes zero sense. It's the so-called experts who are in these fields who <laughs> come up with these bizarre campaigns that benefits only them, keeps their keeps their nonprofit uh, grants going, um, but it, it doesn't do any good whatsoever. So, really, they, they become the foolish ones. Uh, they're looking like idiots. That's to me, that's exactly what I see is that there's so much scoffing, there's so much ridicule that is heaped upon them that I don't even, I'm not even sure it's registering. <laughs> they, I, I'm, I'm probably, I'm fairly certain that they really have drunk their own Kool Aid.
1: It might be registering, however, with some of the people who are drug addled or drug addicted. It might and it's certainly registry registering with certain municipal policymakers across the country, isn't it? I mean we are now at a point where we have vending machines with safe needles and narcan throughout the country. Um I, I, I think of it this way, let me get to the prevention part of this, what I think a saner policy would be. I think of it this way. I, I, I think of of, of us building prosthetic limb stores on the beachhead of shark-infested waters, whereas the same public policy would kill the damn great white sharks. We're telling people, swim as you may, and here's a prosthetic limb store when you get out of the water if you're attacked. Mm,
0: I think that's a great analogy.
1: But why can't we tell them what we used to tell them, which is don't use, and if you are entrapped in use, we're going to help you recover, and it's going to have sanctions. Because you're right, I think most sane people do look at this and say something's awfully wrong, but they kind of shake their head and they let these municipal policies continue on and ruin, I think it's fair to say, cities like yours. I mean, you think about New York City, you think about San Francisco. I don't know if there are two more historically iconic cities in the United States of America, maybe Chicago, maybe D.C., but we are ruining these cities in real time with these policies, right?
0: It's an amazing city that is taking a very serious hit. Um, it is our reputation. But worse than that, I mean, certainly with, with a reputation, I mean, then tourism drops and uh, companies no longer want to uh, have a business here, but we're talking real lives that are being hurt, real lives that are ended prematurely. Uh, we have two, uh, just over two people a day who are dying of overdoses. Every day in San Francisco. Give me that number so, again.
1: Give the audience that number again. I'm sorry.
0: Absolutely. We're averaging two people a day Incredible. dying
1: Incredible. over there. Okay. Incredible.
0: So this is why I'm so upset. This is why everybody, most people here are upset because they look at that number and they're not automatically saying to themselves, gosh, if only those people had drugs that were supplied by the government. To help yeah. them." That's absurdity. (laughs) No one is thinking that. And the so-called experts who are involved in promoting that concept, if they believe it, they're either crazy or they're stupid and possibly both
1: it's po- it's it's likely both some of them have an agenda uh but i don't think it's most of them i do think uh, some of them a small percentage quite frankly but maybe uh, maybe with an outweighted microphone megaphone or, or 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 power public policy power but i do think to some degree there is there is an investment in in, in in making things a little bit worse, uh, because it 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 it's it's designed to kind of wreck a system, if you will, or overwhelm a system, right. and and I think th- there's also a message about personal responsibility, which is taking a hit here, and I think there's something about middle class values. Dare I even try and get away mm-hmm. with saying perhaps an antagonism towards white middle class values that's at play here. Lifestyle choice has become really the main theme of these people is what I guess I'm trying to get at. And it's mm-hmm. putting us in a direction that's going to be awfully hard to return and turn around from. I mean, 1979 was an awful year. was the worst year for drug use in this country on record. And we're about a tenth of a percentage point away from that right now.
0: Yeah, we're falling into the new May
1: year. Yeah, and that's it's, right.
0: It's and it's happening. We can turn it around. That second part of, let, if you want to leave on a on a happy yeah
1: day. yeah, let's do that.
0: <laughs> um, we can There's a, there are a couple different things that are happening. First, you have to deal with the dealers. Yep. You got to get them off the street. Um, we do have a DA in place right now, uh, Brooke Jenkins, yep. who is doing that. She's up for her election. Let's hope she. They've um, because the options. But So you have to look at what law enforcement is doing. What is your DAs doing? Are they, can you support them so that you can help get the dealers off the street? That doesn't mean add the government as replacing the dealers, but start there. The other way is start supporting recovery services again. Bingo. They're tried and true. You can do it. Um, a good a dear, dear relative of mine, he's almost 50 days sober. Celebrate that. You can do it.
1: Yep. You absolutely can. And I think if you combine that ethic with a prevention ethic rather than a safer, safer use ethic or a detoxifying of the language and making that which is illegal and dangerous uh, something normal and to be accommodated, we'll, we'll, we'll be well on our way. And I hope that becomes the new ethos for municipal politics. I really do, Erica. But, you know, I, I tell you, I look around the country and, and there's not a lot of experts and not a lot of journalists who share that opinion, which is why I'm so delighted to have found you and to uh, do thank what I can, can to propel you. the thank message you. you're, you're communicating.
0: Exactly. More people need to know.
1: Good. Erica Sandberg, thank you so much. Godspeed. I appreciate you joining us uh, on uh, on a Friday. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Have a safe weekend. Folks, again, you can follow her on Twitter at J. Sandberg, or of course, her Substack column is found at ericasandberg.substack.com. I'm Seth and We'll be right back with a final thought. Thank you for spending some of your day, some of your week with us, folks. Much appreciated. Sponsors, thank you, Balance of Nature, for helping make this communication possible. Folks, it's the best product I've ever taken. It is pure, potent plant power. You take it once a day. It's 100% natural. No added anything. No added colors. No added preservatives. Not an added color. Not a thing. 100% pure fruits and vegetables you take it once a day you're surging into your system and improved not only health but everything that comes with it energy immunity you name it you can check it out at balanceofnature.com their fruits and veggies make sure to use discount code balance this is the last day of September and I'll close with coming off of the Erica Sandberg interview. A lot of months get designated different things. One of the things September was designated as was National Recovery Month, Recovery from Addiction Month. How much have you heard about any of that? On the other hand, how much have you seen about the problem of fentanyl and other illegal and dangerous drugs? Bill Bennett wrote that illegal drugs pose a serious danger. They frequently lead users to harm themselves and to harm others, and they are particularly dangerous to young people. The sanitizing of the language that I discussed with Erica in the previous two segments have given us what? Have given us what? Have given us the streets of San Francisco today. They've given us the zone on Ninth Avenue in Jefferson and Phoenix. And this terrible report we read in the Arizona Republic this week, that fentanyl deaths have more than doubled in Arizona for children 17 and younger. Children, folks, children, let's move from an ethic and an ethos of accommodation and enabling to one of prevention and, yes, absolutely recovery. James Q. Wilson, who knew how to fight crime, originator of the broken windows theory, he put it, the drugs destroy the mind and enslave the soul. No one can really argue with that. So ask yourselves, are our policies enabling it? or arresting it. Be on the side of the latter, not the former. God bless you all. I'm Seth Leibson. Until Monday, have a great weekend, and class is dismissed.